Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, you join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this chance to be here, to worship and praise you, to seek you, to bring our, our troubles and our praises to you, Lord. This morning we uh, pray for Cal, pray for uh, recovery from his pneumonia. Uh, uh, we also pray for uh, uh, Brad and Jess List, unborn baby, that you bring a miraculous healing uh, to the little one there. Uh, Lord, we know that you are in control of all things, and your will be done. Uh, but we do, uh, we do ask for healing, Lord. This morning, I would like to pray for Pastor Trey. Uh, we're thankful, Lord, for such a, uh, a good, committed shepherd to our church, for a godly man who seeks you. Lord, uh, we are so thankful uh, for him, for Shelley, uh, who is a great support to him and, and a great uh, asset to our church here. Lord, we just we thank you for such a, a godly family that's dedicated to not only preaching your word, but continuing to learn and grow in their faith in you. Lord, we just ask a blessing on Trey and and uh, their children, both born and unborn, uh, that they uh, they lead uh, a godly life as they lead us here. Heavenly Father, be with uh, Trey and Shelley and all of them as they uh, find some rest and relaxation down in Florida this week. Uh, just give them a safe and relaxing trip uh, and bring them home safely. And, Lord, we just we continue to pray that, uh, that Trey's time here would be a, a, a glory to you, God, that it would build our church, it would build our faith, uh, that you would just continue to bless him and our church here as we, as we all partner together in, in worshiping and praising you, Lord. We just ask that you be with Herb as he gives a message this morning. And, and just thank you for the beautiful day you've given us, Lord. In your name, amen. My wife just informed me that I preached on Hebrews 11 before here. So if you remember it, this is the second in a series of Hebrews 11. Uh, uh, Before we get there, though, I'd like to uh, tell you a story about Delbert. Delbert turned 65 and uh, went to a doctor for a full checkup. Uh, About three weeks later, he went back after the tests had all come in and get the doctor's report. And the doctor says, well, Delbert, Delbert, you're doing pretty good for a guy your age. Delbert thought about that, and he was kind of worried about that, you know, concerned with the doctor's response. He said, Doc, uh, do you think I'll live to be 100? And the doc looked at him and says, well, do you uh, smoke or drink beer? Delbert said, oh, no, I don't do either of those. Doc says, well, do you uh, eat grilled steaks or barbecue ribs? Delbert says, no, I heard that red meat is really unhealthy. Doc said, well, do you uh, spend a lot of time in the sun? Do you surf? Do you swim? Do you sunbathe? Do you golf? Delbert said, no, I, I don't do that. He said, well, do you have any dangerous hobbies? Do you skydive? Do you drive race cars? Do you uh, do anything that would be dangerous, extreme sports? And Delbert says, no, I've never done any of those things. The doctor stands back and looks at him and says, well, why do you want to live to be 100? <laughs> a 
You know, as we walk down life's journey, we have a lot of experiences, a lot of hardships, a lot of, a lot of blessing and good times. And through all of it, I think it requires faith in our Lord Jesus Christ to make it. And this morning, I want to look at Hebrews 11, and I've entitled this, Be a Hall of Famer, because we can be in God's Hall of Fame. I'd like to begin by reading chapter 11 of Hebrews, and then I'd like to make a few comments about it. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father, because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they were admitted that they were and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive him back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinarily, ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered 
because he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and, and uh, what was that? Destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. (coughs) Before we go any further, would you join me and look to the author in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that you are a great God, a God that has made promises for not only Israel's future, but each of our futures. We come to you through the power of the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and praise you for providing that opportunity. Thank you for your saving grace. And now we ask you that you might share grace with us as we come to your word. Uh, Strengthen us, enable us, allow us to live by faith so that the world might see your reality at work in our lives. We love you, we praise you, we ask your blessings now, and draw us close to you through your word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I think the message is simple. Faith is simply believing God enough to obey him and then also wait for him. Now, I think that God, in his wisdom, has given us three separate definitions of faith in the first three verses of of, uh, this Hebrews 11. First, he gives us a personal definition of faith. Then he gives us a physical definition of faith. And then he gives us a pictorial definition of faith, which takes up the rest of the chapter. (laughs) This morning on the next slide, I'd like to look at the personal definition of faith. Sure of what we hope for. What do we hope for? I think those are some of the things at least I hope for. I I hope that the deer doesn't run out in front of me. I, I wanted to win that $580 million lottery. God didn't have that in my program. We hope the cops are not out when we're speeding. We hope the gas prices get lower before we fill up next time, right? That's what we hope for. Now, I think the kind of hope that Jesus Christ tells us to have in his future coming is the same kind of hope, really. It's just in an object that we can count on. And the next slide says that we can be certain of what we do not see. This kind of fleshes out some of that hope that we should have. What are we certain of? We're certain of gravity, magnetism. We're certain of the uh, next slide, which is what I'm thinking about here. We're certain of uh, mental processes, at least in most people. And we're also certain about the realities of evil and temptations. Those are things we're pretty sure that when we flip that switch, the lights are going to go on. We 
count on those things. But even those are somewhat uncertain or unpredictable. But what God is calling us to have is a hope and a certainty that he has provided for us with evidence. The next slide would be where this fleshes out some. We can be sure and certain because we have evidence for our beliefs, hence apologetics. (laughs) We have a lot of reasons to say that what we believe is true and accurate and right, and we can count on it. We can be certain about it. We can put our hope in that because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us if we're trusting Christ as our personal Savior. We have the whole Old Testament, which records for us the reality of God following through with what he says. He blesses the Israelites when they obey him. He curses them when they disobey him. It's recorded for us. It's historically validated. And it is more biblical or more extra-biblical support for this word of God than any other ancient literature. There is more extra-biblical support that this is real, true, and faithful, accurate, than any other ancient literature. If this isn't right, they have to close every ancient literature department around the world. That's how impressive the evidence is. I've got some of it cited up there. We have 5,686 Greek manuscripts. That's a lot. Not all of them are complete. Some of them are just fragments. Some of them date within 25 years of the life of Christ, his resurrection, I mean his death, burial, and resurrection. Not all of them, but some of them. That is phenomenal in the world of ancient literature. Compared to the next best attested work, the next thing that is the closest to having any kind of evidence like that is Homer's Iliad, and that is 643 manuscripts 500 years after the fact. Nobody doubts the reality of Iliad of Homer and Iliad. Nobody doubts the reality of Caesar's existence. And that's only 10 manuscripts, a thousand years after his life. Can you get the picture there? We have much more evidence to say this is true and accurate and right than any other ancient document. I think the world uh, that doesn't believe in the Bible is playing by a different set of standards. But anyway, that's the personal definition of faith. Next, we come to the physical definition of faith on the next slide, and that is our universe. Our universe is a faith lesson. And I also would suggest that that is why evolution is so predominant, and the enemy is pushing that so hard, because the world we live in screams that God exists. What we see came from nothing, it says in verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. (laughs) Excuse me. It's not a recreation. It's not something that was made after Satan destroyed the original. It's certainly not punctuated equilibrium, which is God started a seedbed and then had some supernatural fertilizer now and again to boost things over the edge and they were evolving. And it's most definitely not evolution. The next slide will show us something that evolutionists tell us with a straight face and in all academic integrity from their perspective that nothing made something. That, folks, is pure absurdity. That's intellectual idiocity. I can't even make that word up. It's not right. (laughs) It's not right. Nothing is what rocks dream about. No thing. That is pointedly 
pointedly designed and planned to deny the reality of God. And this name up here that I have, Richard Lewontin, I want to read a quote from him, the next slide. And this is in a paper that he wrote, in a book that he wrote. And that's it up there. Our willingness, this is a noted Darwinian uh, evolutionist who, who teaches at Harvard, so he's not a dummy. Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated, just so stories, because we have a prior commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes, excuse me, to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations. No matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated, moreover, that materialism is absolute for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Now this book, I don't have enough faith of, to be an atheist. I recommend this very highly if you're interested in any of that. This is full of those kinds of things that dispel the, the uh, myths of atheism. But this universe is God's physical definition of faith. And then he prov provides us with the scripture to support that on the next slide, Romans 1.20, which tells us from the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Again, can you see why the massive attack on creationism or, or even uh, supernatural existence? Because that's what the world proves. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And our academia, the scientific world, want to dissolve that because they don't want to have that picture, I mean, that the physical definition of faith and God. The next slide starts us on this road of the pictorial definition of faith. Now, God knows that the just shall live by faith. He knows that faith cannot, uh, uh, I mean, is not easy all the time. So he's given us a personal definition, a physical definition, and now he's going to give us a pictorial definition. The next slide will list some of those people that we just read about. I'm not going to read that all again, but I do want to think about some of those folks and what they did and how that affects us and our understanding of what we are supposed to do as faithful God followers. Think about Abel. He brought a sacrifice to God. And his brother did, too. He's the first guy that got the fuzzy end of the lollipop for being faithful, by the way. He brought an animal sacrifice. Cain brought, apparently, vegetables, and God doesn't like vegetables, obviously. And so God blessed Abel, said it was a good sacrifice, and told Cain, hey, you didn't cut it. Here Abel is doing what God wants him to do. He's pleased. I mean, God is pleased with what he does, and his brother kills him. Now think about what happened. Cain didn't have a gun. He had to kill him with his bare hands. What do you think Abel was thinking 
as he has been faithful to God, approved by God, doing exactly what God wants, and his brother is strangling him or stabbing him or doing whatever he did, push him off a cliff. He did right, but he lost his life. Noah is another guy I want to think about. Think about Noah. It, it, Noah's an encouragement for me. It took him 100 years to build that boat. That way I don't feel so bad about two years to build a Volkswagen. But 100 years he's building a boat because it's going to rain. And the people have never seen, heard, or thought about rain before. Rain was non-existent up to this point. And, oh, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm building a boat because it's going to rain. Huh? You're nuts, man. For 100 years they ridiculed him. His family, his kids probably got laughed at in school. They probably went to pre-kindergarten, and the kids thought, he would, hey, you're the, you're the kids of that freak that's building a boat for something that we don't even know what it is. But day after day, he kept on doing it. Finally, the floodwaters came. And what do you think he was thinking when the people were on the outside of the boat? Noah, I believe, let me in. Open the door, let me in. Remember, God closed the door on the boat. Noah couldn't open it. I'm sure he wanted to because some of those people were probably his relatives and friends. Some of the people that were mocking him, he was probably saying, hey, sucker, now look who's right. But, you know, I mean, I don't know that. That's my interpretation. The, the point being that the, the details of his daily living produced a life-saving boat while he was being mocked and ridiculed. Think of Abraham. Abraham amazes me. Abraham amazes me. I, I didn't ask Cal, but I'm going to ask uh, his wife if it mind if I use Cal as a successful businessman. Abraham was a successful businessman. He lived in comfort. He was very wealthy. Okay, Abraham, move from your nice stone house. They say that they had running water back in the day. They probably had something like a water cooler that would make it cooler in the summertime. I don't think they had foam insulation, but they were comfortable is my point. He was wealthy, had servants, lots of them. Okay, we're going to go camping, Abraham. Where are we going? I don't know, just, just head out. Pack his stuff up, leave all of that comfort, all of that successful lifestyle, and go on a camping trip for a hundred years. He was 75 when he left. He died when he was 175, and he pinched a tent for a hundred years. That's a lot of latrine digging. You know, that, that's a long time. What do you think he thought about? Oh, God, another 110 day in the sun. Where's my water cooler? Where's my ice cold Pepsi? You know, he's on the trail, a camping trip for 100 years, following God to a place he didn't know. Then after that's all done, he's, his wife has a baby. He's 100 years old. She's 90. They have a baby, one that they wanted for a long, long time. Kid grows up, he's an adolescent, maybe a young man, teenager, uh, maybe early 20s. And God says, go kill your kid. Sacrifice him to me. Now that's always choked me up. Because there's sometimes I would have liked to kill my oldest son, believe me. But, you know, I never would have really done it. Now, here's Abraham, and he's walking with his boy up to Mount Moriah. He's smart, the kid's carrying the wood. So Abraham's, you know, walking up to Mount Moriah... He said, hey, Dad, we got the wood, you got the fire, where's the sacrifice? Oh, don't worry, God's going to supply the lamb. That's all. We read that real quick. But put yourself in Abraham's shoes. He knows what God told him to do. What is he thinking? What's he feeling? What's his emotional condition? 
What do you think he's going to do when he's tying uh, his son up? Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing, Dad? And this is a burnt offering. So he's going to lay him on the, on the offering table and hold the knife. Dad, what are you doing? I'm going to kill you, son. Oh, man. Can you put yourself in his shoes? I can't. I can't. I, I am not that faithful. Think about the details of that trip. Think about the times that he thought of ways to get out of this. God, you've got to revise this plan. God, where are you? You told me you love me. You told me you're going to bless me with all these kids. You're going to have me kill my only son? Oh, that's heavy duty. No wonder he's a man of faith. Joseph, this was actually supposed to be an introduction to Joseph's, uh, uh, Trey's message on Joseph, series on Joseph. Joseph was living as a shepherd. His brothers sold him into slavery. Most of you guys that have been in church at all time, any length of time at all, have probably heard of most, if not all of these guys. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. So he's a slave, not a nice place to be, but he works his way to the top through God's blessing. He is now the second in control of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world of his time. That would be like being the vice president of the United States. He's got everything at his fingertips. I don't want to run through the whole story. He, his family comes down and lives in Egypt because they're starving up in the promised land. And Joseph, 400 years before the exodus, at the end of his life, he, by faith, tells his family who are living in his umbrella, his shadow of comfort and security in Egypt, says, hey, guys, you're going to move. And when you move, take my bones with me, with you, because I don't want to be here in Egypt. I want to be in the promised land. That is faith. He was, he was predicting 430 years, actually, before the event when the Israelites would leave this protected, secure, safe haven that he was enjoying the comforts of Abraham. He was, he was wealthy. He left those, and he promised, I mean, he didn't leave those. He promised to Israelites, his children and their heirs, that they would leave 400 years before the event. That's faith. That's why he's in the Faith Hall of Fame. Jericho and Joshua are another one of my favorites. And also Rahab, I like her. But uh, Joshua is a military man leading the armies of Israel, who are a bunch of farmers and slaves that have now hammered their plowshares into, into uh, swords. They march around the city of Jericho for seven days, once a day for seven days. The last day, the walls fall down. That's absurd military behavior. For those seven days, what do you think the people are thinking? What do you think Joshua's thinking? God, what in the world are you having me do? It's a long walk around Jericho, and it's not a highway. It's hard walking. Think of the details, the choices he had to make every day to get up, put his boots on, and walk around Jericho with his army, leading his army, the guys in the tent at lunchtime. Do you know what Joshua did today? Do you know what he's going to do tomorrow? What is, what's that guy? You know, they don't have God's word. Joshua does. He's just telling them, okay, guys, we're going to mark around. And by, by the way, be quiet. Don't say nothing. Oh, yeah, right. There obviously weren't any women in that tour. But uh, I'm sorry, ladies. I had to throw that in there. The, uh, the, the, whole, the whole idea is that's absurd military behavior. But he obeyed. And his faith paid off. I like Rahab. I mentioned her because she's a whore. And she's in the Hall of Fame. That means God will do, you know, anybody is acceptable, even body men. But she's in the Hall of Fame. 
And she's a, and you know what? It never says anything about her changing her profession. She's just blessed by God because she believed and the whole nation did not. Those are the well-known faithful. The next slide introduces us to a group of people that I wish weren't really weren't in there because this is where I fall. The next slide will be the unknown faithful. And they're, they didn't have the wealth. You know, Abraham had wealth. Uh, Joseph had wealth. Moses chose to leave the wealth. He was, he was quite a guy. But these folks are the unknown faithful. And look at their experiences as faithful Christians. Please keep that in mind. This is what faith is. It's believing God enough to obey him and wait for him. Tortured, mocked, flogged, chained, imprisoned, stoned, sawed into, killed by the sword, dressed in sheepskins, goatskins. They probably didn't have uh, any of the boutiques we have. Destitute, persecuted, mistreated, wandered in deserts, caves, and holes in the ground. Those are the unknown faithful. What do you think they were thinking about? as they were living out their lives. Do you think they'd wake up in the morning and say, hey, praise God, I got a new hole in the ground? Hmm, I don't, I don't know. Hey, great, I'm going to get myself cut in two today, you know, with a saw in a hollow log, and then they saw it with a two-man saw. That doesn't kill you right away. That hurts for a long time. They were faithful. They were flogged. They were mistreated. They were homeless destitute, persecuted, mistreated, wandering. That's because they didn't have any place to call home. Day in and day out, that was what their life was. That's all they had to look forward to. They were, there was no way out. But they remained faithful. Wow, how? What in the world would make you want to stay faithful to a God who's got you in a log with two soldiers laughing and joking as they're cutting you in two? Wow, I want to know that God. I want to know how to do it. Faith is simply believing God enough to obey him and to wait for him. They waited for him, but they didn't, they didn't get the good side of things. The next slide is the particulars of faith. This is what I think is important to us. Well, all of it's important to us, but this is the how-to kind of a thing. First off, verse 6, they believed in a prayer answering God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Do you think that Abraham was praying for air conditioning in his tent in a 100-degree temperature out in the desert? We've been to Israel, you know. They make fun of us because of our prosperity, but they're living in sandcastles in a 100-degree temperature, you know. He was out there in a tent after he left all that wealth. Do you think he was praying to God, hey, God, where are you for a 100 years? Think of each one of those. Think of the persecuted people. Think of the people that were uh, not the well-known but the unknown. They believed that God would answer prayer, and they carried that belief with them to the grave. Verse 8, they obeyed. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Obedience is a pretty big deal. You know, we're free in Christ, but we have a faith that tells us that we should be different from the world. We are saved into the obedience of the faith, Romans 1. 
That obedience is what prompted God's continuing direction. Now, the people that were tortured and mistreated also obeyed. You know, we think about Abraham. I want to think about the possibilities of what the future holds. Maybe God will win next year's $500 million lottery for me. I don't like the idea of being homeless. But both scenarios were faithful. They obeyed. They believed God would do what he said they would. They believed in his promises, verses 13 to 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They believed in God's promises. The people living in wealth, the homeless, the people that didn't suffer physically, the people that do, did suffer physically. That covers all of our lifestyles, folks, all of us. Whether you're a successful businessman or a homeless wanderer, they believe God. And see, there's a little, little catch in there. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. See, they could have bailed, but they didn't. They stayed strong in their faith. They continued in their obedience. They wanted what God had promised. They believed his promises. Verse 39 and 40, yet they did not experience those promises. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They will be blessed with us, you and me, you and me. We will stand with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with those people that were sawn in two, with those people that were tortured and mistreated and flogged. We're going to stand with them and receive God's full blessing. Now, I experience the answers to some of God's promises for keeping. They experienced some of God's promises for keeping and care, but they didn't experience all of it. That will come when we're fully blessed in God's faith. I mean, in, by God, in our faith. Those particulars of faith apply to us today. This is what I'd like you to take out of this. If All you really got to do is remember the message summary, but these are things that I thought would be pointed measurable responses to this idea of being a hall of famer. First off, these guys that are recorded in Hebrews are just exactly like you and me. They were people with feelings, with emotions, with, with hurts, with wants, with, with cares, just like you and I. Just like you and I. They were no different. We just read about them because they were the, 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 the ancients of old who were commended for their faith. Think of the daily choices that they made based on God's promises. Abraham kept packing up his tent and following God. Abraham kept uh, praying for a child. Abraham kept begging God to find some other way than him to kill this child that he gave him. God answered those prayers. But you know those people that were tortured? I'm sure they were praying that, God, get me out of this cell. Lord, get me out of this, these, these beatings. Lord, bless me. Relieve me. His answer wasn't release. It was perseverance. He kept them through that trial. But 
They believed in God's promises. I, I want to, well, the next, today, right now, think of a troubling situation in which you will trust God this week. Think of something that's really a problem in your world. Something that's going on that seems impossible. Try to identify that. It's not hard for me to identify those things. I can pick a bunch of them. I'm sure you have at least one. Think of that. And determine to trust God, to be faithful. Be intentional about trusting God in daily decisions. Now, I want to, this, this week while I was preparing for this sermon, I, I experienced something that I, I thought, God, you're letting me see this from your perspective so that I can share that with you this morning. I, I have experienced something this week that was a temptation for me. Now, I've got to apologize for two things. One, it's about me. It is one that I was successful in. I won't tell you about all the ones that I failed in. But it's also about body work. Those are the, I do that a lot. I was working on a pickup this week, this Wednesday. Now, I'll give you a little context. I'd just driven 12 hours on Tuesday from Tulsa to here with a 1966 Chevy pickup truck. It's not comfortable. It doesn't have many creature comforts, and you can only do about 60 miles an hour. So, I, on the way, we were down there at Jessica's co college preview. I caught some kind of a bug. So, on the way, I'm getting sick. Wednesday, I'm sick. I, I have a sore throat, headache, runny nose, and I'm tired. This past Sunday was my 65th birthday. Throw that into the mix. So Wednesday, I'm wiped out. I'm in a garage working on a pickup truck, straightening a fender. And I'm grinding a truck. Now, when you do body work, there's paint. You've got to take it off to put Bondo on. Well, there's paint, primer, and sealer under the primer. And I'm grinding, and I got the paint off and the primer off. And this green sealer, it's hard to get off. It sticks. And I'm thinking, eh, I don't need to do that. I can just bond it right over. Nobody will ever see. And I, I was thinking seriously about that. I can just leave that on there and bond it. Nobody will ever see it under the shiny paint. I was thinking, wait a sec. Here I am, crying all this stuff about being faithful Christian, trying to tell people I do God-honoring work. Nah, I can't do that. So I was sore, old, and sick, grinding on sealer that nobody will ever see. But I just couldn't let that go. I think God gave me victory. I saw that as a temptation by Satan. And I think that is the way God, I mean, Satan defeats us in our faith walk. It's the little things. It starts out with the little things. Oh, I, I, I've got the freedom to do whatever, I, to drink. I can go get loaded and drunk and God doesn't mind. Okay, yeah. But eventually it becomes an addiction. Eventually it becomes defamatory to your Savior. Eventually it works into bad things. You've got the freedom. You've, you've got lots of opportunities. You can cheat on your taxes. You can do all kinds of little things that nobody ever knows about. In your study, uh, you can hit that porn button, and you can watch all that stuff. Okay. It's the little things. And after a while, those little things become a familiar thing. And all of a sudden, something comes into your life, and you say, hey, you know, hey, God doesn't really answer prayer. I mean, I, I've been praying for two years that God had opened up a ministry for me because I really don't like kneeling in the garage and getting cold and sore and hurt. But he hasn't. I can leave that primer or sealer on there. Nobody will notice it. Eventually it becomes a way of life. Eventually it becomes a godless way of life because all of a sudden God's not part of your thinking anymore. Praying, why pray? Why waste my time? I'd rather watch TV or do something else. Why read the Bible? It doesn't work. <laughs> Do you think those people that are in the Hall of Fame that were tortured and mistreated and persecuted in prison, do you think that God's, they thought God's plan worked? They didn't get what they were praying for, I'm sure. 
they were praying for getting out of there. <laughs> they wanted to have a better resurrection, but they didn't want to go through the pain to do it, I'm sure. See, you will be in God's hall of fame for all eternity if you're a faithful follower of God. The next slide repeats the message summary. Faith is simply believing God enough to obey him and to wait on him. The psalmist in Psalm 119.50 says, My comfort is in my sufferings is this. Your promise preserves my life. That's real, folks. That's real. We have a whole chapter in Hebrews 11 that records every kind of faith walk that we could experience personally. Just have faith. Believe God enough to obey him and wait on him. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Father, that you are a God that loves us, and that you have a plan for us, even if it doesn't seem like it's the one that we want. We just pray that we might be faithful. Pray, Lord, that you might bless each one of us with strength, commitment, perseverance. Allow us to honor you with the lives that you've blessed us with. Turn us from ungodliness. Turn us from worldliness. Turn us to you and a faith walk that is pleasing to you. Thank you for your great goodness, Lord. And I just pray now that you'll bless each one with a close walk with you. Might we follow you and be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.